Well, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday we looked at the, the candle of prophecy and the hopes and dreams of the coming Messiah. And then we looked at the, the, the fact that the place where Jesus would be born and the prediction of that. And then last week we looked at those lowly shepherds. This week the last candle is the angel candle or the candle of peace. I have always been enamored by the angels. You know, it's, um, we talked about it a little bit on, on last Wednesday um, concerning they show up out of the middle of nowhere in this great event to announce. And almost every time they appear, they were terrified. They were terrified. And they brought such messages of peace and hope. Today we want to talk about peace. We want to talk about peace, and I always struggle with a, a discussion from the Bible concerning peace, especially at this time of the year, because when we look around the world in which we live in, we don't see it. It's not there. And we have to be honest about ourselves and about our country. We are not a Christian nation. We have not been a Christian nation for a long time. And we're starting to see the fruit of rebelling against God, obeying his word, living by his principles, upholding his standards. And all that comes out of that is the promise of the word that there is no peace for the unrighteous. There is no peace. For, that's what we're seeing. And if we think the White House or the Congress or our elected officials or corporate interests are going to fix our nation, it should drive us to our knees. Just as an aside, on January 5th, that's the first Sunday in January, um, I'm calling for the whole church for a time of prayer, a concert of prayer that Sunday evening, to pray for us as a church the work that we have before us to be salt and lights and cities on a hill in all of the decisions we have to make concerning the future. But I want to let you know, and I'm going on record, I have peace of mind concerning the future. Not because of who we are. Oh boy, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I know the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, who some 2,000 years ago invaded our reality by sending his one and only son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die on a cross, to rise from the dead, so that we could have life eternal, abundant and free. That's good news, folks. That's good news. And these angels show up to set this stage in motion. Angels are spiritual beings, heavenly messengers from God. They deliver messages to humans that they could not get on their own reasoning. An angel has to show up to give you a message that you couldn't get 
the normal route. That's why I don't pray for angels to show up in my life. Really. Because if an angel has to send me a message, that means Bob is being a knucklehead. I should be able to get it from his word. I should be able to get it from the counsel of others. I should be able to get it from my wife. I should be able to get insight from someplace. But if he has to send an angel, oh man, that means the lines are blurred. But there was no way Mary was going to know that this birth was supernatural unless an angel came. There was no way Elizabeth was going to know that she was going to have this child unless an angel came. There was no way that the shepherds were going to go to Bethlehem to find the baby unless an angel came. There was no way Joseph was going to leave early and go to Egypt unless an angel came. He had to get a special message that could not have come through direct and normal lines. So God had to invade the reality. Angels carry out God's will. They don't serve themselves. They guard, guard, they guard God's throne and guard his interests. They're invisible until they appear, and then you're terrified. They're innumerable. We don't know how many there are. Used to be a big debate in Bible school. Remember the old days? How many angels can fit on the head of a pin? Big waste of time, wasn't it, Don? Big waste of time. Angels have individual personalities. They have intelligence and will. They have names. They are superior to humans in power. I always have a saying, you don't want to box with God, it's going to be a short fight. They are inferior to God. God created angels. Because of the fall, angels are superior to humans. They have more power than us. However, they are and continue to be inferior to God. So what, what is the ministry of angels? What, is, what do angels do? They don't sit around in heaven playing harps. My view of heaven and angels, they're playing electric guitars for some reason. My vision has always been like that first episode of Back to the Future with that big amp. And <laughs> that's heaven. Angels provide for us the followers of Christ, physical protection. Do you know there are situations that were dangerous for you that you're unaware of that angels protected you from? There were situations that were dangerous for you that you're unaware of, but angels protected you. I have lots of stories about that. I'm from New York. When you grow up in New York City, you have stories about that. When I first decided to go into the ministry, they wouldn't let me preach in church, and it was wise. Um, but I could preach on streets. I started preaching on the streets, and I never forget preaching in the Harlem, 125th Street, preaching for the Salvation Army at a street meeting, and there was a gunfight that happened down the block. Some guys started shooting at each other, and I could hear the bullets zip by. You, could hear, you know, that's how close the bullets were and yet none hit me. I remember driving to a meeting once on the Long Island Expressway, and a tire came off a truck, a big truck, and the tire bounced in front of my car, bounced over my car, and went over the street. I remember one time I was witnessing to a guy, and he pulled out a knife on me. 
And all I had time was to say the name of Jesus, and he fell right on his knees. Angels protect us in ways we are unaware of. You should thank God every day. Every day of life you have is a testimony to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And some of us, let's get real, some of us lived some foolish lives before we came to Christ. Rebellious and alienated from him, and he has protected us to the moment of salvation. He protects those who are his. Angels provide us physical provision. Remember Elijah was complaining by himself? What happened? Angels came and, and, and told him to take a nap and gave him some food and gave him a drink and he, he got a break and then he worked a little harder and then more provisions came. Angels give us encouragement. Remember when Paul was in the middle of the storm? An angel came and said, you're not going to drown. We're not going to lose anyone on this, this shipwreck. You'll lose all the belongings, but you're going to be safe. Angels give us direction. Philip needed an angel. They assist us in prayer. They come alongside of us in our times of prayer. One of the greatest ministries of angels, they assist us carry believers home to be with him. No believer dies alone. He has an entrance for us. He carries us home. I used to have a Greek deacon. He talked about little babies. He says, you ever see a little baby and all of a sudden would start smiling? Just by itself, a baby would he would say, they see the angels. And I remember when my mother was very sick on her deathbed, and all she wanted to talk about was heaven. And she would talk about the visitors that would come to her at night. And they weren't nurses who prepared her for her journey. Unnumerable sources of resource around us and we're unaware of it. Do you know we live in a temporal world of stuff? And so that we have to constantly ask God to open our eyes to the spiritual realities that are around us. We have to constantly ask God to open our eyes to the spiritual realities because we're so connected to the stuff. And so much of what happens during the Christmas season, it's about the gifts and it's about the parties and it's about the dinners and it's about the travel. That we forget the glorious message that God sent his son for us. That we could trust him. And when God appears and comes to us, he offers to us a peace that surpasses human understanding. A peace that the world does not know. Most people think when they hear 
peace on earth, goodwill towards men. They think it means that, that God has given us a, 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 a bad check because of wars, because of disease. Yeah, if there was a God, have you heard that argument? If there was a God, how could all this bad stuff happen? I'm saying, I look at evil people. I'm surprised more bad stuff isn't happening. I'm surprised that, you know, people say, oh, all these, all these bad stuff. People are sinners. I'm a sinner. Just imagine giving sinners power, prestige, influence, and weapons. What happens? Welcome to the world situation. This piece is more than just individual harmony and satisfaction. It's more than just when you're feeling good about yourself and about the world around you. The word peace in the Bible, the, the Old Testament word shalom, is, is, is more than just the absence of difficulties. The shalom concept is when everything is as it's supposed to be. So when it says, seek the peace of the city in Jeremiah 29, or, or pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it, it, it's saying more than just that there won't be any difficulties there. That word there means that, that when everything is as it's supposed to be, when things are just right according to God's standards, and when we look around the world, we know that it's not right. There shouldn't be 45 murders in a little town like Fort Wayne. That's not right. It's not right that the rich get their snow shovel before the poor. It's not right that there's more African Americans and Hispanics in jail than other people. They're not committing more crimes. This is not right. It's not shalom. It's not peace. And what makes peace, peace according to God's standards, is that you surrender to the king, the prince of peace. And he sets, first of all, your life in order. So it's not peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's peace to men on whom his favor rests. The gospel does not promise a sensation of war and strife upon the earth, not in this age. It's not going to happen now. It does affirm, it does tell us that those who belong to God, those who surrender their goals, aims, plans, desires, and choices to the will of God experience a peace that is not dependent on external circumstances. It's not that God shows up and then all of a sudden all oh, the war stops. No, 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 no. You have to surrender your goals, your aims, your plans, your desires, your choices to God, and then he gives you a peace that goes beyond circumstances. So there's still war, but you're in a state of peace because you know who's in control. You still get sick, but you know who the healer is. You still have financial and economic problems, but you know who your provider is. 
You still have problems in your family and in your marriage, but you know who is the healer of your soul. We know what real peace is because we have connected to the Prince of Peace. This illusion that there's going to be no more war and no more violence, that's not going to happen, not in this age. Not with sinners in charge of stuff. But I can surrender Bob's stuff. I can surrender my will, my goals, my plans, and I can line them up with God so that everything is as it's supposed to be. You see, we were created to worship God. We were created to worship him in, in, in a kind of a communion, in a relationship worship. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament is handiwork, right? But they don't have a choice. Stars don't have a choice to give forth the glory of God. But we have a choice. And God created us to worship him. But because of sin, we rebelled against God. And we decided that our way was better than his way. And you see the way that got us. Ask the Dr. Phil question. How is that working for you? It is not working for us. And what we try to do is what Adam and Eve have always done. We try to blame somebody else. We kind of cover it up. We try to hide, but it doesn't work. That's our approach to sin. Cover up, hide, blame. And God knew that. He knew we were incapable of fixing our situation to get us aligned with the purposes of God. So God had to intervene. God had to intervene. He sent his son to be born, to live, to die, to rise from the dead. And if you trust him, if you trust him, he fills you with himself. And the glory of the Lord shines in your height, life. And stuff you used to do, you don't do that stuff anymore. And the thoughts you used to think, you start thinking different thoughts. And the plans you used to make, and those plans don't fit. And all of a sudden, your life trajectory begins to aim towards the purposes of God, and things start working out all right for you. Things get better. And when things seem to get worse, there's even more resources because now you have God, and you have his word, and you have the community of the body of Christ, and you have resources that you didn't have before. That's why I always laugh when people say, I can be a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend trying to fix your car with only a wrench. And no knowledge and a degree. Sometimes you need help. We all need help sometimes. Somebody to come alongside of us, to encourage us, to pray for us, to support us, to, to prod us on to love and good deeds. 
So God gives us the resources we need to live a life in peace with him. And you all know people that are kind of posing, you know. Why does it look like the unrighteous prosper? That ungodly people get all the breaks? That they're getting away with it? But don't forget, each one of us has an expiration date. Each one of us has an appointment. The Bible says he's going to make all the rough places plain. He's going to settle all accounts. He's going to judge the living and the dead before the, the, before the throne. And his judgment is going to be true and just. The angels show up and speak a message of peace. There's a lot of angels in this Christmas story, isn't there? Think about it. Gabriel shows up to Zechariah, right? Luke chapter 1. And what's the, message he, what's the message that that angel rings? Basically is, God hears your prayers. Doesn't that bring you peace? That when you pray to God, he hears you? And if you pray anything according to his will, if he hears you, you know you have that? So what's the prayer that we all should be praying? Lord, what is your will? Because that's what I want to talk about. Gabriel then shows up to Mary. And what's the message that he gives to Mary? With God, nothing is impossible. Are you facing an impossible situation today? Are you looking at something that there's no way that it can be fixed? That as you, as, you, as you count the shekels in your wallet, as you figure out all the plans and schemes, it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out, I got good news for you. With God, nothing is impossible. You have that rebellious child that has been gone for years, God can bring them back. You have that physical illness that the doctors don't know what to say about it, God can heal that. You've been long-term unemployed. Your unemployment is about to run out. God can supply your needs. Nothing is impossible with him. Your marriage is on the rocks. I got good news for you. God can heal the brokenhearted and set at liberty the captive and usher in the acceptable year of the Lord. He can heal your marriage. Because that's what he does. He does the impossible stuff. I personally believe God puts us in the face of impossible stuff so that we have to trust him. I think he brings us to the Red Sea. I think he puts us in front of the giant. I think he puts us in the storm so that we would have to turn away from ourselves and turn to him to seek him to do the impossible on our behalf. For Zechariah, God hears your prayers. For Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. Angels show up to the shepherds. And their message is, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel, the good news, is for everyone. I personally believe that the poor, 
the disenfranchised, the marginalized get it. They get the gospel because they have nothing else. They get it. The poor really do get it. We're too comfortable here in the United States to really get it. But when you have nothing else, you have to put your trust in God. You have to. It's for everyone. Joseph doesn't know what to do. My fiance, the engaged person, the person I'm supposed to be married to, has come up with this, came up with this great story. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay. And an angel appears to him in a dream and basically tells him, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Mary's not lying to you. You want peace in your life? Do the right thing. I'm going to give you a Bobism. I haven't given you Bobisms. People that have me in class know these are just things. I have like 30 or 40 of them, Bobisms. One, one of my favorite Bobisms is do the right thing because it is right and let the chips fall where they may. Do the right thing because it is right. And leave the outcomes to God. You know, it'll be amazing how people will want you to get to do wrong things for right reasons because they want to control the outcomes. Okay? God controls the future. He controls the outcomes. We need to do what is right. Because it is right and put our trust and confidence in God. When I was in college, college students, you love this, I took a macroeconomics macro class. It was about 300 students in this large room, and we would have these weekly tests, and students cheated and cheated and cheated. The, the, the professor would give out the test, sit in the front, and read the newspaper, and it was ridiculous. People would just copy off of each other's papers. And, and I, I made an appointment with the prof. I said, yo, dude, this, I don't cheat. I believe stealing someone else's answers is a violation of my Christian commitment. I can't do that. It's not fair. This is not right. They're getting A's, and I'm, I'm just barely making it a C. The curve is all messed up because everybody's cheating. It, it, was, it was bad. And I was, I was really... I never forget what the professor said. He says, Bob, don't worry about it. Read your syllabus. Don't worry about it. Read your syllabus. And so I actually got out the syllabus and I started reading it. And those weekly tests were worth like 5%. And a final was worth like 55% of the grade. On the day of the final, the Gestapo came to the test. We had, you had to check your bags at this desk. There were proctors in the aisles. Every test was different from the person you were sitting next to. Oh, man. Felt like the days of Noah. A lot of weeping. 
He said, don't worry. Don't worry. You got to do what is right. You got to do what is right. If your boss is trying to get you to do something that you know is illegal and wrong, I am telling you right now, do what is right because it is right and God will bless you with his peace and his provision. And if you lose that job because you're doing what is right, God has a better one for you or he's going to give you a better sense of peace. Okay? He will take care of you. And I'd rather be in a ship that's in the middle of a storm with Jesus in the bow sleeping than on solid ground far from Christ. You have to choose where the source of your peace is. You got to do what is right. We're so worried about what other people think, what other people will say, and what's going to happen. God controls the future. We just got to trust him. Later on, the angel appears. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream. Basically says, get out of town. And I believe that's a promise of peace that there is a way out of your unknown trouble. Decisions. The future. A couple of weeks, we'll be going into a new year. If the next year is like the previous year, there will be some people that are here today that may not be in that year in the future. Some of us who have jobs and security right now, by the end of that year, may not have, next year may not have jobs and security. Some of us have big decisions about our future and our job and about marriage and about children and about Decisions and decisions and decisions. What are we going to do? Where are we going to be? Hey, Harvester has some big decisions. Our pastoral leadership, about direction of our church. And I want to let you know, God knows. God is in control. Nothing has changed with God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not shifting like the lights. He is steady and reliable, trustworthy and true. I cast my vote and commitment to God. Whatever the problem may be, and we're going to have some problems, because we're people. I can tell you this. God knows. He has a plan. His plan is for our best. His vision for us is always life and hope and peace. He can be trusted. And if we rely on him, the future is always good. I like angels. But you know, there's something even better than angels. I'm going to break the rule of homiletics and read a long passage. 
Hebrews. Chapter 1 says, Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majesty of God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than angels. Just as the name of God is greater than their names. The Son is greater than angels, how? For God never said to an angel, as he said to Jesus, You are my Son. Today I have become your Father. God also said, I will be his Father, and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, he said, let all the glory of God's angels worship him. Regarding angels, he says, he sends his angels like the wind, his servants like flames of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You're, you love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God, you have anointed you, pouring oil of joy on you more than anyone else. And also it says of the Son, in the beginning, Lord, you laid a foundation on the earth and made the heavens with your hands and will persist, but you remain forever. You will never wear out your old clothing. You will fold them like a cloak and discard them like old clothing, but you always are the same. You will be forever. God never said to any angels, sit in the place of honor at the right hand until I humble my enemies and make them footstools under my feet. Therefore, because of all of that, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for the people who will inherit salvation. Folks, we're better off than the angels because we have Jesus. We have the Son. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son has been given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's what we have. And that's better than angels. Before I let you go, I might not see some of you at the Christmas Eve service. I know you got plans. Some of you are heading out of town, and I want you to be safe. I want you to give you a quote from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
Before Aslan showed up, it was always winter, but never Christmas. May this holiday be always Christmas and never winter. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are the glorious and righteous one. We thank you that you sent your one and only son to die on a cross so that we can experience life and peace. And through all the hustle and the bustle of this season, may our thoughts continually rest on the reality that we have a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. And I pray this in your name. Amen.